God intervened, and through an angel and other means, he rested him and he fed him, and he recommissioned him to anoint two men who would be kings and to anoint Elisha. And it is Elisha's commission that becomes the strong hope of Elijah as his work, not quite, but soon, comes to an end. And so this chapter is really about Elijah's recovery. Who is Elisha? Well, he is described here as the servant and successor of Elijah. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak, and today on the program we're going straight to the message on the plowman, the plowman to profit. This is the testimony of Elisha, God's servant in the Old Testament. We're going to read here in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 19. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he with the twelfth and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So that's the context of our message today, serving the Lord with all our hearts. And in this new year, I hope this was a very uh, appropriate and personal message to you, that you might give your life to serve the Lord and to exalt Christ in his kingdom. That is our aim and object here today as we let the Bible speak from 1 Kings 19. We also have uh, something new we're doing here called Five Minutes of Righteousness Exalteth. And we're going to be looking at the need to pray and to guide our young people away from the drug culture. Let's have a moment's prayer. Father, we ask for your blessing, and we pray that you will use your word today that you may turn hearts to yourself and that we may give ourselves to serve Christ. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I pray that will be the testimony of thy people and the burden of thy people. So speak through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a sermon for tough times. Elijah was living in a very difficult day during the reign of King Ahab, and that wicked Jezebel, uh, that daughter of an ungodly king, was influencing greatly the nation for evil. We know that God has a plan for his church in the midst of wicked days, uh, and that is something we need to reinforce. Because the days are evil does not mean God's work does not go on. The Lord always promises, I will build my church. And the 
plan of God is that this world will function and perhaps even decline in deeper wickedness, with evil men abounding, and the light of the gospel growing ever so dim and challenged. But in such times, we need servants of God, and we need the 7,000 who will not bow the knee to Baal. Now, there's a debate on why Elijah did not recognize that there were 7,000 who had not bowed the knee. If he was such a sage and prophet, a man in touch with his times, how did he not know? Some uh, explain that there were 7,000 that would yet arise, and they would come forth in a very soon future date, and therefore Elijah was not personally aware of them. And that added to his despondency. Threatened by Jezebel, hated by Ahab, hunted by all, we find Elijah under a juniper tree, wishing to die. He is really saying, it's over. It's over. There is nothing more to do. God intervened, and through an angel and other means, he rested him and he fed him, and he recommissioned him to anoint two men who would be kings and to anoint Elisha. And it is Elisha's commission that becomes the strong hope of Elijah as his work, not quite, but soon, comes to an end. And so this chapter is really about Elijah's recovery. Who is Elisha? Well, he is described here as the servant and successor of Elijah. He was the son of Shaphat, verse 19, and the name would betoken that Shaphat was a judge. He was some kind of governor or leader in the land. He was a landowner. He had quite a large farming operation going on. And we find Elisha coming behind the twelfth man in twelve set of oxen. And Elisha is now most likely the master plowman. He's the one coming behind, keeping an eye on the others as they go in and out of the furrows and as they plow the land. His call, well, absolutely sudden. There seems to have been no prior preparation. God sovereignly commissions Elijah go down and anoint Elisha as a prophet. Now, the prospects to be a young prophet and a servant to Elijah were not good. You'll find in verse 1 that Elijah was very unpopular. In verse 4, he was very depressed. In verse 10, he was very lonely. He thought the work of God was on its way out there was no way ahead. And then in verse 16, you will see God commissioning him, saying, going down and uh, anoint 
Elisha the son of Shaphat, to be prophet in thy room. Now, that would appear to be like a pension scheme. You're going to get pensioned off, your work's over, and a young man's going to come along and take over. But instead of depressing Elijah, it really became a tremendous encouragement to him. In verse 19, Elijah found Elisha plowing. He called him, cast his mantle upon him, and he marks him as his successor. Tonight, I want us to look at Elisha's response. This young man on his father's farm, in a safe, uh, prosperous industry, without risk, without any complications in life, and suddenly he's called away from it all to become a servant of God. And what we're going to see here tonight is absolute, total consecration. No going back, no hesitation. He is totally committed, and he is in no way half-hearted in what he's going to do. I think you'll agree tonight that the difficulty of our age is half-hearted service. I think there are many that claim to be God's workers, and they do so half-heartedly. They do so with a double mind. They want to serve the world. They want to serve God. They want to have mammon or money. They want to have the popularity of man and yet they want to serve God. We see that this certainly was not the approach of Elisha, and we mark here his total consecration and the obedience that that required. Now, let's look at it in three ways. Number one, accepting the mantle. Number two, conquering the temptation to go back and number three, arising to serve. And all of this comes together in these short few verses, 19 to 21 in 1 Kings chapter 19. So, in verse 19, you will see his obedience in accepting the mantle of Elijah. Now, this mantle was not just a cloak, not just a garment. It was a symbol it was a symbol of the office being conferred or transferred from Elijah to Elisha. It was most likely a very loose kind of garment or cloak that would have been draped around the body. It had been quite easy to come from any angle and just take it off and sling it around the other person and say, you are called to serve God. And so, if we can picture this scene, we see Elijah arriving in this plowed field. Have you ever walked over plowed field? It's a bit like walking in deep snow. The ground underneath you is crumbly. Or if it's a wet weather, it's muddy and dirty, and your boots might well stick in the freshly plowed soil. And here arrives Elijah, and he is seeking his man. He is to anoint this man, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, 
of the area of Abel Mahola. He gets his address and he arrives in the plowed field. He clamors over those fresh furrows. He seeks out Elisha and he switches off his own garment and slings it around this young man, Elisha. And lo and behold, without hesitation, Elisha accepts it. There's no protest. There's no questioning. There's no apparent confusion. What does this mean? What does this mean now am I really to do? There seems to be immediate comprehension of the significance of this mantle. And Elisha was convinced that this mantle was God's call to him. And when you follow the steps of his responses and the few questions he had, you will see that he's not questioning the call. He's just wanting to get things in order to immediately obey. Now, I don't read that Elisha saw this coming. We are not told that there was some heads up for him. He was busy on the farm. He was the twelfth man in a row of twelve sets of oxen plowing. In Canadian modern farming, that would be like a prairie field with twelve tractors and whatever number of furrows they are turning each up and down the field. And there's a sense of accomplishment. There's a sense of a good day's work getting done. There's a sense of managing these oxen and the men who are plowing with them. Elisha has a lot to look forward to in the very world in which he's living on his father's farm. And there's no hint that he had heads up in what was coming. We know from the Scripture in verse 16 that God had appointed Elisha. This was a sovereign act of God. In verse 16, you will read here that Elijah was sent, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And so Elijah was merely carrying out God's bidding, and he was coming to do what God had appointed him to do. And so we can expect that God is preparing the heart of this young man, Elijah. That's God's business. It's God that prepares hearts. It's God that raises up men and sometimes women who do special work for God. It is God who puts the burden, the obedience, and the attitude within the soul that they might fully and with whatever knowledge they have step out and do the will of God with all their hearts. Every Christian should be praying for an obedient heart. We don't know what twists and turns there may be in the road ahead of us. We don't know what door of service God might have. But we ought to be constantly praying, Lord, get me to the place that when you show me the way, I am ready to walk and do the bidding of the Lord. Lord, make me willing for thy will. Today we had our sermon this morning on looking unto Jesus. 
Well, let's look to him in the garden of Gethsemane. Let's think of the Lord Jesus pray, not my will, but thy will be done. I wonder, are you surrendered to that point where you erase your own will and say, Lord, I want to be lost in doing and genuinely obeying thee to do thy will. We're to look unto the Lord as our example of surrender. You look at the whole life of our Savior. It was a life surrendered to the will of God. He set his face as a flint to Jerusalem and to the cross. His goal was to do his Father's will in suffering, to save his people, and to redeem his church. Now, as we look unto Jesus as our example in this, we ought to be on bended knee and say, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Now, the bestowing of the mantle was the mark of Elijah's obedience. And I mean Elijah, the older man, taking that mantle off himself and casting it on Elisha was a direct act of his obedience. He did exactly what God told him to do. Go down and anoint Elisha, and used, he used this mantle as that symbol of his office being conferred upon him. Now, because Elijah was in the will of God, and because he found the right man at the right place at the right time, and Elijah was doing God's will, that became the green light for Elisha. And so the obedience of the older man, Elijah, became a green light for obedience for the younger man, Elisha. And we learn from this that it is by the obedience of each Christian, each brother in the Lord, that we impact others to obey God. None of us live unto ourselves. And yes, I am my brother's keeper. If I become careless, if I don't seek God's will for my life, if I lose out in fellowship with God and don't listen to his voice, then I'm going to walk astray. I'm going to miss those cues that God gives, and I'm going to impact others who might be seeking God's will and might be desiring to do God's work. When you're waiting on God to know His will, ask God to open a door. Do something. Show me. Guide me. And, and surely this young Elisha was doing that. I can't see how he would have immediate response in his obedience without being a prepared young man. And God sent Elijah. I can parallel this in my own call. I happened to be in Calgary in 1982. It was a long weekend helping out the minister who was the founding pastor of the congregation there. And he had never had a vacation in a few years. And I was asked just to visit for a weekend. I preached on the Sunday, and I stayed for the Tuesday prayer meeting. And the minister didn't take a holiday at all. He led the services, and he was right there and was in on everything. But at that prayer meeting, 
God was working. There were prayers for Canada. There were prayers for family and family members in Vancouver. It was definitely a time when the Lord was in the, in the midst. After the meeting was over and we were going out, the lady who was the wife of one of the elders, she opened her Bible and she showed me Jeremiah 3.15, I will give you pastors after my own heart. Now, why she did that that night, why she chose that verse, but God used that verse and her witness just like Elijah to Elisha. She had a burden, obviously, that God would raise up preachers, pastors after his own heart. I don't think she knew that about six months later, the minister of that church would be departing because of the health issues of his wife. I don't think she knew that at that time, but she was burdened. And God took her burden, stirred her heart to share that very verse with me, and the rest is history. God works in signal ways, unexpected ways, ways that we might not even imagine. But if you're on your knees asking God to guide you, he will. He certainly will. And so we see the importance to always and earnestly follow God's Word and to be in prayer, that we might even be that green light to some servant of God and to see them thrust out into God's work. And of course, it will impact a generation to come. I think of a father, and there are dads here tonight, your walk with God will impact your witness to your children. Your obedience to God will be the instrument that will guide your children. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak. Stay tuned with us for five minutes of Righteousness Exalteth a Nation. Today we want to talk about mercy for youth of our land. As a pastor, I am very alarmed for the youth of our country who are being destroyed by the drug world. Just today again, I had a father on the phone crying for help to rescue his teenage son from drugs and suicide. As never before, kids from even good and godly homes are being lured into doping. Some double in it and learn to hate it, but a great number are falling prey to its destructive powers. The new powerful drugs are fentanyl, which has the power to kill with a little grain-sized powder. Those who sell these drugs are ruthless murderers, for they know only too well they are dealing in death. Deaths have occurred from the very first ingestion of this drug. Even first responders who somehow ingest a little dust from their gloves have needed emergency treatment. Sadly, this is not just happening on the back streets of our cities. It is happening in million-dollar homes and hotel suites. It is killing the rich and successful, as well as the troubled and disadvantaged. There is also an alarming number of people hooked on these drugs through doctors' prescription pills, giving out for pain relief. 
The stats show that the number of fentanyl prescriptions in our society has climbed steeply. It seems that for years, few doctors realized the high risk of administering such drugs. There is a sinister side to this plague of drugs in our society that has created a culture of death. It is as if all discernment has been taken away. One would think that as soon as the word is out that these powerful drugs are killing thousands upon thousands of people, that the alarm would go off that this stuff is pure poison and to be avoided. But people don't seem to care for their own lives, just as the drug dealers don't care who they kill. How do we explain this dark interest in drugs in what we glean from the Bible? It surely tells us that the Bible is correct, that the heart of man is deceitfully and wicked above all things who can know it. It is a desperately deep sin problem in human nature. The Bible is right that man without God cannot find real satisfaction. The Bible also tells us that Satan is a murderer from the beginning. This state of affairs is ripe for the devil to destroy souls. In John 10, verse 10, the Bible says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and heareth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. In Christ and the gospel rests hope for our nation. We need to repent of the sin of our generation, and turn again unto God. We fear that this may be God's judgment, where he gives people over to the evil of their ways. And it is young people who suffer due to their rebellion to God. To parents, I would say, cling to Christ and to the gospel of the cross. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Redemption and reconciliation to God through the blood of Christ is still the power of God. God still saves and saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. It is time for God's people to awaken to the death throes within our society and turn back to God for mercy and deliverance for the rising generation that know not the Lord. It is time to pray for God to make the gospel great again, to turn his people to walk again in the paths of righteousness. For righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs fourteen twenty four. Christ is our righteousness. He is our Savior from sin. He saves from its guilt, its power, and one day from its presence. Trust Him to save your soul from your sin. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.